This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy. And we're turning back the clock to a traditional style podcast. Haven't done one of these for a while. It's been crazy with the playoffs, but Ryan, the news cycle's been juicy. This is a juicy podcast. We have lots of topics to cover. And I get to start you off with Todd Reardon, fired as coach of the Capitals. Before we get to the potential replacements, do you think this was on him? Was it his fault? Or was it just a case of the coach always has to fall on the sword? Well, I think there's a little bit of that, but at the same time, the way Washington ended the series against the Islanders, they just, they didn't seem like they were really into it. And in their post-game comments, you know, a lot of them talked about their respect for Barry Trotz, who is obviously now the coach of New York, who was the coach of Washington. It felt, at least from an outsider's perspective, like Reardon had lost the room. And you can't get it back if you're a coach, especially one that doesn't have a lot of NHL head coaching experience, which was the case with Todd Reardon. Now we've seen coaches do this before where they get a shot at a job and it doesn't work out and they come back later on and do some really good things. Uh, but you know, Todd Reardon is going to need some time um, and, and Washington obviously needs to move on and, and they have to do it quick because they have a lot of expensive veteran players and, you know, they have one or two very good prospects that will be ready soon, but not enough to sort of carry the mail. So they need some results to move into that next generation in say four or five years. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think too, you know, you look at the age of that roster core, so many of the guys in their 30s from Ovechkin to Backstrom, TJ Oshie. And it's like, if you're going to go forward with this group and take another shot, then you need to just give them a spark. So sometimes it's like, whether it's fair to Reardon or not, just bringing in a new voice to the room could could spark them. And I, and I do think that Ryan McClellan as GM, he has a tough decision to make because, you know, you've got, a, I think, about $10 million in cap space. You have Jacob Rana, who's eligible for an extension. Alex Ovechkin is eligible for an expen- extension this summer, too. They both are entering the final year of the contracts. So do you just go all in and say, eh, I'll let future me worry about that because you know the Capitals are, are close. I- I'm not sure, but I think first what you have to do is bring in a new voice. So I, I'm curious, too, what you think, who you think, would be the best option. I know Mike Babcock's name has come up a lot. Peter Laviolette's name, Gerald Gallant. They're, the, they're probably the, the big names that are out there, but who are you looking at as the top potential replacement? Well, based on what Brian McClellan said on Sunday at his availability, they want somebody with a lot of experience. So for me, it's either Gerard Gallant or Peter Laviolette. You know, Laviolette obviously has... Uh, more of a winning resume in terms of hardware. Uh, but Gallant, we've seen him do some fantastic things with a couple of franchises already. And cynically, if you're only looking at a sort of stopgap guy that can keep you a contender for a couple of years, Gallant has proven he can do that. And then I, I kind of feel like long-term, the answer is going to be Spencer Carberry, who is currently the head coach of Washington's farm team, the Hershey Bears. And Carberry has done a very nice job. Uh, he's only been head coach of the Bears for two years. So he you know, does not have that requisite experience. He would be another young guy, um, you know, under 40 if he came into the team right now. But it feels like you bring in a Laviolette or a Gallant. Uh, I, I don't know if Babcock's the answer. You know, I, I know that he uh, 
has a, a sort of a volunteerish position lined up with Dartmouth. But uh, there, there's also some baggage where I feel Babcock might need a little more time on the shelf. Um, Gallant and Laviolette, those are plug and play coaches. Um, and they can get you that transition time that you need right now. But long term, I think Carberry would be a, a very intriguing hire uh, for the Capitals coach, maybe in three, four years. Interesting. And I, and I think I'm with you. You know, it, it's definitely not, in my opinion, Babcock's time yet. Um, it, it's interesting, too, because if you look at what went wrong with Washington this year, a lot of it was their team defense. It, it kind of collapsed uh, as the season progressed. And based on that, you know, I think Gerard Gallant's systems are much more disciplined, you know, the way he had Vegas playing. So, so that might be a better hockey fit. But when you look at the personalities, you know, this is the team that in our future watch, they're 27th in terms of their prospect pool. There isn't – Conor McMichael's coming, of course, but there isn't a ton of young talent that you need to mold yet that's coming onto the roster. I think Laviolette is the better plug-and-play. He's the safe hire. He's the guy that's going to come in and be able to work with these personalities that have been established for a long time with the organization. We know that his teams can score. I mean, the Capitals don't have a problem scoring, but their offense could be even better with Laviolette because his teams always are pretty good chance generators. Uh, so it, it, even Nashville, right? Nashville was decent offensively under Laviolette, even though they didn't have elite, elite scoring uh, forwards on those teams. So I think he's the safe hire. I think Gallant would be the gutsy hire for, from a hockey standpoint, but I, I'm going to predict Peter Laviolette. Uh, let's move on to Marc-Andre Fleury and the sword, the sword tweet. The, I want to know who Alan Walsh's artist friend is who, who created that. I don't know if he created it himself, but it was pretty epic. It was pretty gory. The sword through Marc-Andre Fleury. He speaks after, of course, Fleury the next day, defending Walsh. And uh, he didn't confirm whether he knew about it or not. Um, but before we get to, you know, Fleury's future, uh, do you think that Fleury knew about this? My, my inclination is that he did. I'll explain why, but I want to hear what you have to say on it first, Ryan. Well, now I'm intrigued because for me, I feel like he probably did not know about it. You know, at the most, maybe he and Walsh were having a conversation and, you know, maybe Walsh said like, oh, you know, it's like you're being stabbed in the back and Fleury said like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I never thought that he knew beforehand that, that it was going to happen. Uh, but I, now I want to hear your theory. Well, you know, we know Alan well. We've, we've worked with him a lot, a lot of things over the years, so we know he's kind of got a Jerry Maguire type of thing going. He's very close to his clients. He's extremely tight relationships with them. He's very plugged into what's going on in their lives. So when you hear Fleury speaking about how close he is with, with Walsh, that's very true. It goes with guys like Jonathan Durant, Jonathan Uberdeau. And so I believe that when they're that close, I, I'm I'm – of the mind that Flurry probably has a, a pretty good sense of what's happening. And, you know, the fact that Flurry didn't, he never said in that presser, I did not know about it. He just sort of spoke defending Walsh. And I think what happened here to use another sword metaphor, I think Walsh is falling on the sword. He's letting it be implied that he went rogue, but I think he, he's a, he's very, a very passionate defender of his clients. And I think he is, he's trying to send a message and Flurry's kind of, okay, you do what you got to do. And then now the plan after could just be, you know, Walsh is going to take the blame and he's happy to do it because that's just the type of agent he is. He's very fiercely uh, protective of his players. So my question is now, the cat's out of the bag. Obviously, it rocked the boat. It's a weird situation in Vegas with the playoffs going on and they look like a real Stanley Cup contender. Robin Lander's playing great, but he also is a pending unrestricted free agent. Fleury still has term left on his contract. So do we think that Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be a Golden Knight next year? And if, if he's not, where do you think he's going to end up? Mm. I think he will be a Golden Knight next year. Uh, 
But let me throw this out. I think maybe Mark Andre Fleury will be the first starting goaltender of the Seattle Kraken. Mr. Ah. Expansion. Yeah, exactly. We know he can handle that situation. He was a great face for the Golden Knights right off the hop. And the X factor is clearly Laner. Uh, you know, heading into unrestricted free agency, you know, Robin Laner has earned a long-term contract. He has earned big money. So it's a matter of, you know, which team can afford him. Can Vegas pull it off and still have Flurry there? They don't have the luxury right now of waiting of exposing Flurry to Seattle because they need one more season for that. Um, but you can't have that much money wrapped up in your goalies, especially when you have other big ticket guys on your roster. So if Vegas cannot find a way to keep Robin Lehner, then they, they pretty much have to keep Mark Andre Fleury unless they go out and make a trade with another organization because they don't have the depth in net right now to simply let both of those guys go. So it's a difficult decision for Kelly McCrimmon to make this summer. But, you know, if you're, if you're Vegas, you say, well, hopefully we win the Stanley cup this year. And then we worry about all that later basking in the glow of our championship. And then if things go pear shaped next season, uh, the championship parade will soften the blow. Interesting theory. You know, I look at Marc-Andre Fleury and his career goals. You know, he's a guy, I remember talking to him about it a couple of years ago about the fact that, you know, pace wise, he has a pretty good chance to finish second all time in wins. And he, he was someone, you know, he didn't do the old, Oh, I don't pay attention to the numbers. I don't know what you're talking about. He was like, yeah, I've, I've looked at the list. He, he's aware of the, of the stats and, and what he's chasing. I think he knows if he climbs that list, it's going to really help his Hall of Fame case as a guy who doesn't have a Vezina trophy. He uh, has, the, has the rings, of course, but if he's that high in the wins list, it would be very hard to deny him. But if he's stuck in a backup role, he's not going to get a chance to accumulate those stats. It's hard, too, because he's established with his family, and I remember talking to him this year that he's, you know, he's felt really good about the family setup in Vegas. He's really used to it now, so that's going to be hard situation but I mean that's hockey guys change addresses a lot and I do wonder you know if Vegas is committed to bringing back Leonard which I think they're going to try to how can you not with the way it's working out I could see Flurry being open to being moved and a team I'm looking at I would love to see I tweeted it out earlier uh, I would love to see him in a Carolina Hurricanes uniform for a couple of reasons uh, you know of course this is assuming that Carolina finds a way to, to they'd have to move either Reimer or Peter Mrazek off the books uh, but Flurry, he's got, you know, he's a beloved personality. He's got a sense of humor. I think he really ties into the team culture that's sort of more progressive. And not that the, the Golden Knights don't have that personality, but I'm just complimenting specifically Carolina. And Flurry, I think, would jive really well with the vibes there. And they're a really good team. They're a team that is, they're arguably a, a legitimate starting goalie away from, from winning a Stanley Cup or really contending. And Flurry's still young enough that he ha- I think he has another run in him. So I, I'm curious if that might be a fit. Uh, there, you know, who knows? Edmonton could use a goalie, maybe Calgary, but uh, I, I like the fit in, in Carolina. Uh, so next up, we, Mike Milbury has been in the news, of course, over the past week. And NBC has sent him home after his comments about women being a distraction in the bubble. Uh, you know, to me, to me, it, it, I'm hoping this is kind of a moment of reckoning. We're just seeing so many of these old guard guys. And I, it's hard because the very nature of the old guard is that people in the younger generation sometimes are afraid to speak out against this establishment because they're the ones with power. But to me, it's kind of time to say, dude, it's 2020. Like, just you got to get with the times or get 
out of here personally. That's kind of where I'm landing, but I'm curious where, where you land on this. And A, do you think Mike, Bil- Mike Milby should eventually be c- coming back? And B, do you think we're kind of reaching finally a, a moment of reckoning for that generation or, or guys who, who sort of have that old school mentality? Mm. I, I'm going to frame it slightly differently in the, in the sense that I, I don't necessarily think it has to be a generational thing because we've seen an old guard guy really rise to the occasion. And that's Brian Burke. I think Brian Burke has done a fantastic job in intermissions, you know, getting his points across and he does it in a way where, you know, obviously he loves the old time hockey, but he does, he does it without punching down on anyone um, like Mike Milbury does. And the other person I'll bring up right now is Kevin Bieksa. Um, you know, Kevin Bieksa has been amazing and a, a real revelation. And to me, what it says is there probably needs to be more turnover on the broadcast side, you know, guys that are closer to the game, you know, BX has only been out of the NHL for a very short time. You know, Brian Burke was working at a GM up until very recently, you know, Mike, Mike Milbury hasn't been attached to an NHL team for a very long time. And when he was, he wasn't good at the job. Um, so I, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really creative people out there uh, who would be really good on television. And I think it, it's really up to the networks to find those folks. The opinions can be very different. That's fine. But you need to find people that aren't going to punch down. And, you know, I, I think Burke does a great job of that. And I think BX is a great example of, you know, the sort of younger, like Tony Romo style guy where he's so plugged in to the game that he can give you fantastic insights that, you know, outsiders just don't have, uh, you know, privy to. For sure. Very well said. And, and I agree that, you know, you can't generalize that everyone in the old guard has a mentality, but with Milbury, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it, you don't want to diss the guy too much, but it's just, it, the, the analyses are questionable. I, I think in a lot of people's opinion anyways, and he doesn't even know the difference between the space needle and the CN tower. It's like, it, sometimes when you have this, people that are of that old guard mentality, like you said, punching down, it can be embarrassing for the sport. And I think a lot of what he's saying, especially last week is an embarrassment and it's hurtful. You're alienating a big part of your audience that, that is hopefully growing in women. And just to me, I think it's just a sign that it's, it's time for a change. And I'd love to see someone different, whether, you know, we've had Sarah nurse, she's doing a great job with the, with the stuff she's been doing for us or someone like Hillary Knight or just someone who, who's also still really involved in the playing side and has sort of fresh analyses. It'd be really fun to see. But who knows? I guess it's too early to know what what the ultimate fate is going to be. So in the news this week, you know, the Flames are obviously already eliminated, but we've seen Johnny Gaudreau sort of pledging his allegiance to Calgary and staying in Calgary. Uh, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you're typically going to say during exit interviews. But I'm curious, in a big picture perspective, Ryan, where do you see the Calgary Flames right now? I'm personally concerned about their future and, and if they've sort of missed the window to contend. But do you think it's time to blow them up or do you think they can be fixed with a few minor tweaks? I think there's something in the middle there. I I think they could use one major trade and whether it's Goudreau or Monaghan or Lindholm, it it feels like somebody has to get moved there. And then you bring somebody else in to, to fortify. And, you know, the other X factor too is goaltending. You know, obviously they need an upgrade in net. You know, is that goaltender somebody you get 
in part of a package for a Gaudreau or a Monahan, or is that separate? That's up to Jim Brad for a living. But uh, the bones are there for a very good team. And I think, you know, the loss of Matthew Kachuk during the playoffs was really tough for them. It would be interesting to see how the complexion of that Dallas series would have changed if Matthew Kachuk had been there. I, I think that's a huge X factor because he's one of, if not the most important player on that team right now, just because of the array of skills he brings to the table. So there's going to have to be some sort of change, but I don't think it has to be huge moves. It might just have to be one very specific move. And I, I don't necessarily know who that player is. You have to balance out, you know, um, asset management, what you can get in return for moving said player. But I mean, there's, they're definitely a good team. I, I also tend to think that losing coach Bill Peters during the year, it was obviously not ideal, even though they were playing well at the time. It, it just felt like once the whole organization gets reset, um, things will be a lot better in Calgary. Okay. It's funny. I, I don't, I don't think I agree. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm alone on this or not, but I think, I don't think they have the assets and, if you make a hockey trade, I don't think you can fix this group. Because if you think about it, you know, let's say you trade Johnny Gaudreau for a player that has more, you know, more feistiness to his game. You know, not not saying he would ever be available, but a player with the equivalent impact of a Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, so you bring bring him in, but then, you know, your defense, it's led by Mark Shordano, who's aging. You're, you have Travis Hamadick and TJ Brody are, are free agents. You've got, of course, Rasmus Anderson is looking good, and Yusuf Almaki is coming back, but your, your decor is probably going to get thinned out. You have Cam Talbot, who's also a free agent, so you have to make a call whether, whether you're going to bring him back. And your core offensive players just repeatedly aren't getting it done in that trench warfare of the playoffs. And you look at Calgary's farm system. It's not like it's burgeoning with these really elite guys. They don't have a top-tier goaltending prospect in the system uh, that's really knocking on the door at the moment. So... I kind of think you have to go backward to go forward, especially because Matthew Kachuk is still young enough. You can still build around him. And I, I, I was kind of kicking the tires on some fantasy trades. And, you know, I was actually doing some Buffalo radio and they were talking about Sean Monaghan. I'm like, you know what? I could see that. You know, you send Sean Monaghan to Buffalo for Casey Middlestat and Buffalo's first rounder this year, something like that. A team that has a lot of cap space. And you start, you know, you start refilling. If you trade them for like a pick and a prospect, you know, so middle side of guy, maybe with a change of scenery and less pressure on him, he can start fresh. I'm not sure. And with Johnny Gaudreau, I'm like, it's, it's really hot takey, but imagine if you trade Johnny Gaudreau to, you send him back to Jersey for Jack Hughes. <laughs> I'm not saying one for one, but, and I know, I don't think, you know, New Jersey shouldn't sell low on Jack Hughes, but I'm kind of just picturing, I love to see the Hughes brothers in the same division and Gaudreau will be back in his hometown. New Jersey's getting impatient. They want to start getting better sooner. It'd be pretty cool. Mm. I don't know. I, but, you know, I'm only half serious about that. That's obviously a half-baked idea. And Steven, the producer, just wrote back, Matt will never be an NHL GM. It came through in the chat. So, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's not the best idea. But my point being, New Jersey's a team that, with, with a ton of cap space that I think would love Johnny Gaudreau. Maybe it's Nico Heischer for Johnny Gaudreau, straight up, something like that. Maybe that's a better mm. trade. See, Steven, I'm learning on the fly. So eat that, okay? Yeah. Uh, but, but bottom line, I think the Calgary, if they cash out those chips now, both contracts are pretty reasonable. You know, it's not like they're eleven million dollar guys. Like they're in the seven million, I think, just under seven million in that range. So they're not difficult contracts to move if 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 you know they can find a deal. Um, so I would start over. 
That's just me. Uh, so let's talk Stanley Cup picks, Ryan. We're, it, it feels like we're halfway through the playoffs, but we're really just finished one round of the real playoffs. It still feels like they've been going on for a while. So I'm kind of wanting to check in and hear what your current Stanley Cup pick is. Has it changed? I'm, I, it's funny. We do so many predictions at the Hockey News that sometimes I forget where I said what, but I know I always have my, the Dallas Stars as one of my picks, and I'm feeling pretty good about that right now because the top line of Sagan, Ben, and Radulov has awoken. Uh, you know, Colorado has some really tough injury problems right now, especially in net, uh, and I think that's really going to impact that series. I also, uh, I, I, I'm sure I had the Boston Bruins in there in, in one of our issues, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good with the Bruins right now as well. I think Yarrow Halak has proven once again that he can be the man in net with Tuka Rask out of the bubble. You know, at this point, it's starting to turn into the war of attrition that we're used to in the playoffs. And it's, you know, it, it's tough because, again, like, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche are so much fun to watch. I would love to see them make a, a long run. It's just a matter of can they recover from the Philip Grubauer injury? And also, like, you know, how healthy is Eric Johnson? I mean, he had a really tough game one for them in the second round. So, you know, Vegas is certainly still in the mix. I feel, I, I feel like Boston's the answer in the East right now, even though Philly and the Islanders, you know, they haven't started that series, but it just feels like, you know, Boston is the best version of that team. Like all the teams in the East are pretty similar, except for Tampa Bay and Boston's the best version of that. So as long as they stay healthy, it should be theirs to win. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we had probably said as a, as a masthead, it was going to be Tampa Bay and Vegas. Um, but I, I always liked Dallas as my dark horse and, and Boston. I'm, I never count them out. So uh, those are the teams I'm feeling pretty good about right now. All right. I, I think, yeah, you're right about Tampa Vegas being the consensus pick of the staff. It was before the season started. So last you know, July or August, and it was my personal prediction, you know, around October and it was our group prediction before the postseason started, and it's still my prediction, and it's still my prediction now. Uh, especially Vegas, I feel extra confident in them. Of course, it's, it's easy to, to flex on a Vegas prediction after that drubbing of Vancouver, but I would have said the same thing the day before. They just look so dominant, so complete, and they just play such a good team game, and they just tilt the ice, and they just swarm the other team's net, and they do it with multiple lines. Their checking lines have been dangerous too. They get contributions all throughout the lineup. And, you know, goalie controversy aside, if Robin Lehner falters or gets hurt, you have a great fallback in Marc-Andre Fleury if he can get the sword out of his back. And, I, yeah, I just haven't wavered. I think that they just play – they play big boy kind of mature hockey, not just flash and dash, but, like, ready to win a Stanley Cup kind of hockey. And Tampa, you know, obviously game one didn't work out as expected. And I, a lot of people said, hey, you know, Boston's just kind of playing possum. They're, they're just messing around in the round, round robin and – they're going to be fine. And you could argue that with Tukarask leaving, maybe it's a galvanizing point for the team. Who knows? Uh, but I still like Tampa. You know, they, they did make a showing late in that game one. And I just think that I've said this repeatedly throughout the season, but Julian Breezeball got the pieces that were missing. And we've seen the impact of Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow in particular in these playoffs. And Tampa has that multifaceted way of winning now that it didn't have before. And that's why it was able to beat Columbus, or at least one of the reasons why. And I think it can, it can survive 
against Boston. Maybe it's going to be a seven-game series, but I, I still like Tampa to win. So I'm going to say Vegas and Tampa in the final. Mm. I don't know if I have to pick a – well, I guess I'm supposed to pick a, a – I mean, Tampa was my pick. I think they're still the most complete team in hockey, so I'm going to stick with them, even though they're down 0-1 against a really good team right now. So it's a little scary, but I'm doing it. Uh, let's do some mailbag questions, Ryan, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, we, we're, we've opened up the old mailbag. Uh, we've got a few to go through. So the first one's from Mike Meyer. Maybe his, maybe his name is Mike Myers, but he just, got, he just slashed the S from his name just to avoid confusion. Who knows? He says, where do the Blues go from here? Does it make sense for them to re-sign Alex Petrangelo now that there are larger question marks surrounding Tarasenko's health? Should they be concerned at all about Bennington or just chalk it up to the fact that he had a bad tournament? So a lot to unpack there about the Blues. Um, I do wonder, so obviously the Blues are, they're really crunched with the cap. They're going to have to move some people out. And the funny thing is, all along, you know, especially during the shutdown, people were saying, well, Jake Allen, that's the easy contract. You've, you've got to find a way to, to move out. But now it's like, oh, <laughs> Bennington's really faltered. And, and Bennington's only a year and a half removed from being a guy who was sort of considered, he had failed. He was a washout, right? He didn't even have a place to play. Even in the AHL, he's being loaned to another team. So it's not like he's that far. It's not that past. is not that far in the rearview mirror. So if, he's, if he has a crisis of confidence, you have to treat it you have to kind of uh, give it respect and treat it as, as something to be worried about. At the same time, I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you've got to just bet on Bennington again because you need to be able to move that Allen contract out and maybe Jaden Schwartz's contract too if you're going to have room for Pietrangelo. I do think what, what works in St. Louis's favor is the abnormal conditions with the, with the flat cap. Maybe Pietrangelo takes a smaller cap hit for more term. Maybe he takes a shorter term deal and also less of a cap hit because he's going to try and cash in again because these circumstances are so strange. So maybe it's, maybe it's going to help out the blues. Uh, so I'm going to predict that they keep Pietrangelo, but that they're going to move Jake Allen and Jaden Schwartz. What do you think, mm. Ryan? I agree on Pietrangelo. I think that he's savvy enough to know that if he should take kind of a veterans bridge deal of two or three years, that you know eventually the cap is going to go back up and he's still going to be a very good defenseman where he can get yet another lucrative contract but for now you know he's not going to get his value on the open market because there's just not going to be enough cash out there for him so why not stay in a good situation you know with an organization you grew up in in st louis you won a cup there and you have a big leadership role. So stick it out a couple more years. You know, the Blues, they're still in their window. And, you know, they don't have a, a ton of help coming up. But, you know, Robert Thomas is going to continue to improve. Um, you know, you got Jordan Cairo, who is still finding his way in the NHL, but has a lot of good skills to him. And you do have Scott Perunovich coming up for the defense corps. What, you know, the Hobie Baker winner. Uh, with University of Minnesota Duluth, you know, multiple national title winner. Uh, and this kid is built for today's NHL. So, you know, you, you plunk in Perunovic and he gives you a great dynamic element on the back end. And all of a sudden, you've got a slightly different look with your team. I agree. They probably have to make some moves for cap reasons. Uh, if it's Jaden Schwartz, then, you know, so be it. It's, it's a tough guy to get rid of, but you do what you got to do. Um, but I think, you know, you don't want to blow it up yet in St. Louis because you still have a very good team there. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's a really good point about the young talent, even though it's not like, you know, crazy blue chip or high end 
I, I do think the Blues window is still very much open and it, it's not closing anytime soon because you do have that youth coming in. And Robert Thomas, to me, he still has the ceiling to be kind of, you know, eventually if he's given more ice time as, as the years progress, he could become a Sean Couturier type of player or Ryan O'Reilly, perfect yeah. guy to learn from on his own team. He's got that heart and soul, two-way smart game. His analytics really showed he was really productive on, in a limited role this year. And even guys like Zach Sanford took huge steps forward this year. And on defense, you've got Colton Preco and Vince, Young, Vince Dunn, or Vince Young, <laughs> Vince Young wishes. Um, but Colton, Colton Preco and, and Vince Dunn are still very young guys too. So they're, they have many good years left. So I, I don't think the window's closed for the Blues at all. And I, I think they got to sort of behave accordingly. I wonder... It's hard when it's these are such unprecedented circumstances. But if you're Pete Trangelo, you know, do you take a one-year deal for seven million dollars that gets you under the cap to help the team, and then you're still young enough that you can still cash in with a big contract next year, or is it like, well, what if you, you know, what if you get hurt in that one year? It's a, it's a tough it's a tough year for UFAs. Yeah, as tough as it can be. I know people are going to say well, the millionaires. Ugh. I mean, within the context of hockey, it's a tough year for UFAs. Uh, next question is from Sunshine State Hockey. Sunshine State says, I live in South Florida and was really excited about having the All-Star game down there. So were we. We really wanted to go. Uh, do you think it will still go on or be canceled due to the season being started a lot later than usual? My prediction is there's going to be no All-Star game next year. I'd be really surprised if there was one because the NHL is really trying to fix the schedule and get everything back on track with the December start. So I'm going to, I'm going to guess no Wall-Star game, but I, I'm sure that Florida would get the first dibs, assuming you know by 2022, COVID cases are under control there. They better be by then. So I, I think that that's what we'll get. We'll see a deferred All-Star game, and you still keep your spot uh, for Florida to be the host. What do you think, Ryan? I would agree. I, it's funny. I was already under the assumption that it had been canceled, but maybe I'm just uh, assuming. But I, I would agree. I think, if anything, they'll, they'll push it back. Uh, because there's also been talk about the draft, which was supposed to be in Montreal this summer. Maybe Montreal gets the draft next year. So I, I think with those rumblings, you just kind of assume that things will get pushed a year. All right. So we're going to end the podcast with a, a truly epic question from Jeff Putnam, just dropping the hammer with the final question, which is rank all the Canadian teams in terms of potential success for the next five years. That's a lot to chew on. Uh, but I tried. I wrote it down. So I'm going to give you my order. And Ryan, if you want to do your order after. Yeah. Uh, and I put, I'll put a little, a little signifying note for each. Okay. So I have Vancouver first. Just, you know, we're seeing everything come together. They have a really balanced roster. You've got the elite scoring talent, you know, Pedersen and Besser. You've got the do-it-all franchise defenseman and Quinn Hughes. And you've got a great two-way forward and leader in Bo Horvath. So you've got all the different – I like the versatility of, of, of pillars that they're building around. Uh, Montreal, I have next because we know they, they're just, they keep stacking that massively uh, exciting farm system. You've got Alexander Romanov probably coming. He'll be in the lineup, I think, by next year. You have Cole Caulfield who could turn pro. If, I don't think he has officially, but I think you, know, you would know that, Ryan, but it, it's possible. I think he's going back. He's coming back. Okay. So maybe one more year. Uh, and you've got already Nick Suzuki breaking through in the lineup. You've got a great goalie prospect, Caden Primo. The list goes on. And they've got like 75,000 picks at this draft this year. So I think the future's bright. And I have Edmonton. I just wrote, I just wrote McDavid and Drysaddle. You know, if you got them, you're going to be good. And they're in their primes for, for quite a while longer. I have Toronto. I wrote, still a chance, roster fixed. So the talent is there. It's just a matter of can Kyle Dubas bring some more versatility, bring in, you know, kind of like you looked at Vancouver as the model. Bring in, you can't have a team of all Elias Pettersons. You got to bring in 
a franchise defenseman and a really good two-way center, that kind of thing. Uh, I have Winnipeg fifth, and I wrote, can contend with better D. So obviously the defense core got gutted. I think they really got to work on finding help, especially on the right side of the D core this offseason. Ottawa, another team that's absolutely loaded in the farm system, but the Senators, they tend to find a way to screw stuff up. So I still have them fairly low on the list, even though on paper they look really promising. And at last, for reasons that have already been outlined in this podcast, I have Calgary and I just wrote window closing, question mark. So that's my seven. Ryan, you have the floor for your seven. Okay, yeah, I agree with you on number one with Vancouver. I think this is a team that as long as they can hold on to Jacob Markstrom, uh, you know, they're, they're contending right now and they should be even better next season because you're going to have that great internal growth from Quinn Hughes and, and even Elias Pettersson. I mean, we forget how young he still is. So, I mean, they have a lot of good things going on there in Vancouver. So I think they're number one. I have Winnipeg number two because I think that with, you know, a little bit of help, they can get back to being contenders. And, you know, they got hit with some rough injuries in the playoffs this year. And I I think they probably could have beaten Calgary had it not been for the losses that they had of Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine. Yeah, they need some more D, uh, but that's what the summer is for. And, you know, as long as they can strengthen that up, they have one of the best goaltenders in the league in Connor Halebuck, who we know can steal games for them. So I, I think Winnipeg can win right now, um, you know, assuming they can get another defenseman or two to, to help bolster there. At number three, I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers because, yes, McDavid and Dreisaitl, I think if they improve in net, they're going to have a lot of internal improvement on the blue line. And that will help them. And then after that, I think I'll probably go with Toronto because of the high-end elements. Um, I don't think they need to do too much more. You know, they need to get nastier up front and they need their defense core to improve. But I think there's going to be a lot of internal improvement when you get Rasmus Sandin up there, you know, as Travis Dermott gets more experience, he's going to be better. You probably lose a couple of guys that uh, have not been really helping. And uh, so it's sort of, you know, addition by subtraction. Then I'll say, (laughs) yeah, Uh, then I'll say Montreal. Um, I'm not sold yet on them being what they were for a couple of weeks. Uh, I would prefer to look at the six months where they were kind of putrid. Um, And, you know, you have reporters in Montreal saying Ben Sherrod is the new Larry Robinson. I don't, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, necessarily <laughs> the, uh, the truth there. So I think there's a lot of hype around Montreal, but I'm a little tempered there. Uh, then I would say Calgary. I think they are, you know, they're, they're kind of in their window, but as we mentioned before, there's still work to be done there. And then with Ottawa, uh, I, I put them last simply because rebuilds take a really long time. And even if everything goes right, I don't think we're going to see this crew of kids really take hold until the end of the window that we're talking about right now. So, you know, in five years, Ottawa is probably going to be on the cusp of something great if everything goes their way. Um, But it just, it just speaks to how long it actually takes for teams to get really good when they do a full on rebuild. Very good points. 
Uh, and producer Steven, he, he, he wrote another message in our chat on the Zoom, but it's barely, it barely qualifies as English. It says, Habs still have a defense core, C-O-R-E. Steven, English is his first language, but uh, he seems to be rusty in it, which is why he's, he's not participating in this podcast. And, and now he, he just wrote, just be full match, so I am cheese. Fair enough. We'll leave it on that truly bizarre note, and we'll see you next time. Maybe we will unbox Ken Campbell if we feel like it and bring him back for the next podcast. Thank you for listening or watching.